Welcome to Columbus Perspective, a weekly public affairs presentation of The Fan. I'm Dave James. The State Highway Patrol needs troopers. In a moment, I'll talk with a recruiter about the job. Courtesy of our sister station, WBNS 10 TV, Angela Ann looks at a number of topics, including a proposal to limit state leaders from getting paid for jobs in the private sector. An effort to compensate those who were sexually abused in the Boy Scouts program so long ago that statute of limitations interfere. And the story of a Hilliard girl who underwent a heart transplant last year. And I'll wrap up the hour talking with someone from Maryhaven who helps gambling addicts. First up on Columbus Perspective on the phone with me, Ohio State Highway Patrol Trooper Jessica McIntyre, who is a recruiter for the State Patrol. How are you? I'm well. How are you doing? Good. Thanks for talking to us. We're going to talk about job openings uh, available through the State Highway Patrol. Yes. This was something that uh, your new superintendent, Lieutenant Colonel Charles Jones, who just started a couple of weeks ago, one of the things that he mentioned right out of the starting gate was that there is a need for troopers in Ohio. Yes, there is. And I think everybody is looking for people right now. But our um, preliminary stage is just to become a state trooper. is just that you need to be 20 to 34 years of age, have a high school diploma or a GED, be a United States citizen, and also have a valid driver's license. Okay. How many troopers are there in Ohio, and, and how many do you normally have or need? Right. Well, everybody's in need. We've had a lot of retirement. Um, but we're right now, I, I'm not sure about the number, but I can just tell you that we are looking for people. This is one of those uh, unusual jobs where you, you actually get paid while you're training. Yes, it's wonderful. Um, we do have paid training. It's $22 an hour currently. And then once, of course, once you get out on the road, you get out of our academy, which is 24 to 26 weeks. Um, you're looking at maybe around 63000 a year, um, $28 an hour or more. Not bad. Now, when people decide to do this, this is pretty intensive, and it's actually living uh, on the grounds of your training facility, right? Yes, and that's what I tell people. I'm like, we train you, we feed you, we clothe you, we give you, you know, room and board, but we don't bathe you. So basically, <laughs> everything is given to you. We give you the um, training that you need to be prepared for being out on the roadway. So, uh, you know, when you talk to people who have an interest in it, uh, I'm sure that you're kind of sizing them up because uh, it, it takes uh, not your average person, I would say, that would want to do this and would be qualified or able to do it. So uh, what are the kind of characteristics you're looking for in people? Um, we're looking for people that basically do want to become officers. They want to do the job. Um, yes, we look sometimes for people that are athletic or what have you, but I say if I can do this job, anybody can do it. Now, I do come from, um, you know, playing sports over the years and in high school and college, um, but it really does not matter. As I said, the training that we give you, um, it prepares you for um, being out on the road. So it doesn't matter any walk of life, and we're always looking always for a diverse workforce. And you mentioned age 20 to 34, and so what, give us a, a general idea of the kind of fitness level, because I, I guess that's part of the training, right? You have to pass certain benchmarks. Right. Well, the first thing we start off with, of course, is taking the written exam. Once an individual passes the written exam, then they move on to the physical, and the physical only consists of doing push-ups, sit-ups, and a mile-and-a-half run. 
Now, when I say only, sometimes that is a struggle for people because they think they can just, you know, come up to our academy where we normally have testing, where we also hold individual testing in certain areas as well. But anyway, they don't think that they have to do any type of, you know, physical regimen before they come, and then, unfortunately, they fail our physical. So I just always tell people, if this is what you want to do, um, concentrate on doing push-ups, sit-ups, and the mile-and-a-half run. That's basically all that we do. Now, once you get into the academy, there's more physical activity that we do, but it's mainly a lot of um, cardio. Okay. How fast do you have to do the mile-and-a-half? For being at uh, between 20 and 29 years of age, you need to do it in 13 minutes and 58 seconds. After that, after 30 to 34, you need to do it in 14 minutes and 33 seconds, and that is for a male. Uh, For females, it's a little bit longer, um, from 20 to 29, 17 minutes and 11 seconds. And then, of course, from 30 to 34, I think it's 18 minutes and some some minutes there. Okay. All our information is at statepatrol.ohio.gov, and it tells you what you need to do as as far as being a male and a female, how many push-ups and um, sit-ups that you need to do um, to qualified to move on to the next thing in the process. And I will tell you, in our process, as I stated before, it's written in the physical. Then from there, you move on to the polygraph and then background. Then there's a drug screen, and then you do psychological, and you will do another physical assessment before you come into our academy. And it's important that we see people that are keeping up with their physical regimen before they come into the academy because, as I said, you'll be doing a lot of physical things in our academy to be prepared. It's really interesting, you know, next time that uh, somebody sees a, a trooper, maybe they'll think about uh, how much effort, and th- that's, uh, we haven't even gotten to the classroom yet, <laughs> all the stuff that they have right. to learn about being a cop. <laughs> yes. So, um, yeah, it, it is, uh, it's a rewarding career, I will tell you that. Um, and it's pretty much how people, you know, um, everybody has their purpose, and I know with Colonel Jones now coming into um, his new position, uh, we are now, you know, Purpose, pur- purposeful in our service that we do um, when we're out in the community and serving uh, the public. Talking with Trooper Jessica McIntyre, she's a recruiter with the Ohio State Highway Patrol. What made you want to do it? <laughs> I had a friend at the time. I actually um, had gone to school in Defiance, Ohio, and then I had transferred down to Kentucky. And uh, I was getting ready to get on with Kentucky State. And uh, at that time, um, they just didn't have the same type of pay as uh, Ohio did. And my friend was like, well, why don't you come on up this way and, and try, you know, try out for becoming, you know, a state trooper. And here I am. Wow. You know, it, it's such a, an interesting job and yet fraught with danger, obviously. I mean, if you stop somebody along the, the uh, you know, the interstate, no matter what time of day it is, when you're walking up to that vehicle, you have to be prepared for anything. You do. And for the most part, I will tell you, you know, you see things on media, but I, for the most part, I, I have positive encounters with people. Um, for the most part, you will hear people say to you, thank you for what you do. And I also tell people, thank you for what you do. Um, it's what makes the world go round. Everybody has their place. And sometimes this job is for people and sometimes it isn't. But um, 
for the most part, as I said, um, there's so many um, different positions that you can go into um, with the patrol, which makes it kind of neat to um, specialty positions. So we have uh, canine, we have our SRT team, um, we have EPU, which is our executive protection unit that covers the governor. Um, so there's a lot of neat things that you can do in your career with the state patrol. And when you go through the training, then you're talking about the training academy, which is uh, out by the state fairgrounds. Yes, it is. Our academy is um, right in the heart of it um, at 740 East 17th Avenue. And so you actually, as we said, uh, actually live at the facility, and it's about six months. Yes, you do. And uh, as I said, no, it's, it's not the greatest time, but when you have, you keep your eye on where you're trying to get to. But again, all our training is, is preparing you for what you may encounter when you're out on the road. But the, for the most part, it's to be professional and to treat people um, the way that you would like to be treated. How uh, akin is the training or the atmosphere to the military? Uh, yes, we train like the Marines. That's what we normally say. But, you know, when you first come in, you're, you're going to get uh, yelled at. Um, <laughs> and, again, people will may say things to you out on the road and, and, and call you different names and call you funny or whatever. But you pretty much have to let that go um, because you don't know that individual. You don't know what they've gone through. And um, sometimes, you know, we play so many different hats being officers. Um, sometimes we're a counselor, um, a doctor a friend, whatever it is at that moment that the individual needs. And uh, we, we do get, um, you know, compliments from the public sometimes when we just take a minute and sit and listen to someone um, that needs to be heard at that time. And I've had that happen in my career. And uh, the lady at that time sent a letter into my post just thanking me for listening to her because that was the first time that she was able to kind of release some things that she had been going through. And I was just grateful that I took that time to understand and to kind of, uh, you know, see that she needed more than, than just me stopping her. And unfortunately, yes, I still gave her a citation, um, but it ended up being, you know, helpful for her. Hmm. Well, these days, with the environment, you know, with police officers and the public, it is complicated. There are strong feelings for and against that probably weren't there 20, 30 years ago just because of yeah. things that have happened over the years. How much of that is addressed during the course of training? Um, yes, we do have training for that just to kind of help people to understand, you know, um, people with disabilities and things of that nature to be kind of cognizant of that. Um, but just, you know, take a minute to assess your situation instead of just immediately just going in and saying this individual, whatever it may have been, whether they're doing something wrong or right or what have you, but just assessing the situation um, in a way that you have a great outcome in the situation. When you're in a confrontation with uh, someone who's perhaps resisting arrest or, or simply not following orders that you're telling them to uh, follow, how much uh, do you just simply continue to rely on your training without all of a sudden getting in your head the idea that, boy, I've got to watch it. I've got to watch what I'm doing. Cameras are on me. My own camera's on me. What am I going to do? Right. Well, again, we do revert. You do revert back to training. And sometimes you have somewhat of the same type of situation, perhaps, and you kind of look back, how did I handle this or whatever. But um, as I said, with the training that we give, we try to assess the situation properly. And sometimes, it, you know, it might go the wrong way, for, but for the most part, I would like to say, only with I can only speak with the Highway Patrol, most of our situations, 
you know, have a good turnout, but there's sometimes that just don't. Um, and uh, again, it comes down, yes, your training and just also maturity. Um, we look at those things as well um, when you're first coming in um, and just having common sense about the situation. But everybody has a different situation because I can't speak for everybody when we get out on the road and we're encountered with someone that uh, may be nefarious, meaning evil. Um, but uh, we hope that we have a good outcome either way it goes. Talking with Trooper Jessica McIntyre, a recruiter with the Ohio State Highway Patrol. Well, one of the other things that's uh, difficult about it and, and something that you know, most of us thankfully don't have to uh, encounter our early moments following uh, a horrible traffic accident on an interstate. Yes. So um, that's part of our bread and butter, we, we say, is uh, handling crashes. Um, but again, assessing the situation and, and making sure that we get the appropriate um, protocol out there to help in the situation if there um, happens to be a, a serious uh, crash. But for the most part, we, we handle um, what is called ACDAs, where people are basically hitting someone from behind because they're not perhaps, you know, paying attention or they're in a hurry. And, of course, one of our things is distracted driving is one of our, uh, what we look for as well, with people looking down at their phones and, and doing other things other than what they're supposed to be doing and getting to point A to point B in a safe way. But, um, again, um, that's that's part of what we do, handling crashes as well as, as also giving tickets. And we also give warnings, too. It's not always giving a ticket, if, if need be. Um, but that's just being out in the public and, and serving um, the best that we can. So if somebody wanted to become a state trooper or, or work within the Highway Patrol and they're hearing this and they're thinking, yeah, I've been meaning to get on the website, take a look at it, how quickly could they be into training and, and become a trooper? Right. As I said, they would go to statepatrol.ohio.gov, and basically it's up to how fast you get their paperwork in. Uh, so once they start with the written, we just ask that they have all the forms and everything are on our website. It's very accessible and it's print-friendly. Um, they can print off their um, pre-employment form and their vision and hearing. They do have to have their vision and hearing done before they can move on to the polygraph. So it basically deals with them getting in their paperwork, and then when they get to their background and can't get in the paperwork that our investigator needs for them to get in at that time. And uh, so it could take maybe three months or six months now, mind you, um, when we were more popular, if you want to say, and that's for all law enforcement and, and jobs, period. We would have a waiting list. Um, people would be on there for years. Wow. Um, waiting to become officers and so i think we're making a comeback um so but slowly but surely what's the maximum number uh, that are in a class when you're training it just depends but i will tell you sometimes we do have what is called an attrition rate and we do have about 20 to 30 percent um that will just kind of drop out and it's not for them but then they turn back around and be like wow i should have done shouldn't have done that and then sometimes they come back to us and want to redo the class again. So, yeah, so um, people just feel like, you know, this is not for me, and then they change their mind and say, hey, this was for me, and then we see them in another class later on down the road. So once you go through the training and are ready to become a trooper, I'm assuming that you're assigned to a post and you go through a training period there where you're following a veteran around or something? Well, yes. Um, so basically, while you're in your class, of course you want to do your best. So there is a ranking. 
So if you're first in your class, you get three choices. Everybody basically gets three choices, but it's whatever's available. So the person that's first in the class, whatever's available at that time, and most likely it will be a post that they've asked to be at, that's where they will go. But right now we're trying to keep people close to, you know, their home area. We would like to do that, but sometimes people get placed in areas, you know, not so close to home, but they do have the ability to transfer back. Um, my first assignment was Portsmouth, Ohio, and I'm from Cincinnati, and so I was able to transfer back within a year um, to my, you know, close to my home area. So that is a possibility, so people don't think that they're just stuck in some place. And then even if it's not your home area and you want to go out and venture to some other place in Ohio, you certainly have the ability to do that. Interesting. Once again, it is uh, Trooper Jessica McIntyre. She She's a recruiter for the Ohio State Highway Patrol. And again, what's the website where people can find out more information? Again, they can go to statepatrol.ohio.gov. Excellent. Thanks so much for your time and the information today. Thank you for having me. Hello, I'm Todd Markowitz, Vice President and General Manager of Radio Ohio, which owns 97.1 The Fan. We're an equal opportunity employer dedicated to providing broad outreach efforts regarding job vacancies within our company. We seek the help of local organizations in referring qualified applicants. Organizations that wish to receive our vacancy information should send their request to the attention of Human Resources, Radio Ohio, 770 Twin Rivers Drive, Columbus, 43215. If you'd like to view our current job openings, please visit our website at 971thefan.com and Thanks for listening. This is Columbus Perspective on the Fan. Courtesy of our sister station, WBNS 10 TV, here's Angela Ann from their Sunday morning public affairs program, Face the State. A new edition can be seen this morning at 1130 on 10 TV. Ohio lawmakers taking up a new piece of legislation that could affect their wallets. The so-called State Official Integrity Act would ban statewide officeholders from being paid for work in the private sector while in office. But will it get bipartisan support? Thanks for joining us for Face the State. I'm Angela Ann, in today for Tracy. Well, this bill would apply to our top lawmakers, like the governor, even Supreme Court justices. Ohio Democrats who introduced the Integrity Act say it is making sure state leaders avoid any appearance of compensation or corruption. We believe that all Ohioans, no matter who they are or where they are from, they want to know that their elected officials are working for them. Now, the legislation would be enforced by the Ohio Ethics Commission, and any state official in violation would have to forfeit their office. Now, this issue came to light after Lieutenant Governor John Houston took a paid corporate board position with a bank, and that raised some eyebrows at the Ohio State House. We reached out to his office for comment about the Democratic Party's concerns. Houston's press secretary, Haley Carducci, said, quote, We appreciate their acknowledgement that the lieutenant governor has followed all of the rules. Certainly, if they change the rules and law, he'll, of course, follow the new ones as well. Well, right now, millions of more dollars are going to police departments across Ohio to fight crime. Earlier this week, Governor Mike DeWine announced an additional $42 million to the Ohio Violent Crime Reduction Grant Program. Now, that money can be used for anything from training to overtime pay. As 10TV's Kevin Landers explains, it also means one local police department won't have to search eBay to fix its 911 system. 
Whitehall's 911 operators are working with computer consoles so old they were installed when George H.W. Bush was president in 1992. This grant was greatly needed because our current consoles are approximately 30 years old. Whitehall applied for and received $634,000 to replace this outdated equipment, which the department says prevents it from blending fire and police calls. The mayor says newer computers can lead to faster response times. We really have a great time lag in response, but if we can respond three to five seconds faster, that can save people's lives. So where's the money coming from? The Ohio Violent Crime Reduction Grant Program is using funding from the American Rescue Plan. Police departments can use the money for things like hotspot policing, crime gun intelligence centers, retention and hiring bonuses, and crime reduction strategies. Local law enforcement, local chiefs, local sheriffs, local mayors should be making the decisions for their community about specifically how this money gets spent. Whitehall says not only will it use the money to replace its outdated consoles, but also add another 911 pod to improve emergency call response. The governor believes the funding could keep career criminals off the streets. We've got to keep this small number of people who are responsible for the most violent crimes locked up longer. That was Kevin Landers reporting. Now, the Whitehall Police Department is one of more than 100 Ohio law enforcement agencies receiving this money, now totaling $100 million. Police on the Ohio State University campus are sending a warning now to students. Police say thieves are targeting students on and off campus. Crime Tracker 10's Lacey Crisp went to OSU to see how students can stay safe. OSU is communicating with students a little differently, but they're hoping that students will get more of the information they want. When violent crime would happen near campus, the university would normally email out a neighborhood notice. The university asked students if that was the best way to get the word out, and students said emails tended to get lost in their inboxes. So the university teamed up with Nexus Luxus to make a map of crimes that happened around campus and hopes it would give students a better visual about how to keep safe. The city had already been using LexisNexis in a community crime map. So what we did is we worked with LexisNexis and figured out how to set that up and tailor it to our needs. And so right now, if you click on the community crime map on our DPS webpage, it shows a one mile radius around campus. Um, and then it shows all, the, all of the crimes that have occurred. And OSU and Columbus police are hoping with all of the extra patrols and extra information, it will help keep students safe. At OSU, Lacey Crisp, 10TV News. And if you have any crime that you want to track in your neighborhood, you can use our interactive crime map. Just go to 10TV.com slash CrimeTracker10 and enter your address. Well, with more schools, K-12, through going back to school, there is a push by the state to help kids access higher education while still in high school. Ohio's auditor Keith Faber wants to expand the College Credit Plus program. Last year, the program saved Ohio families more than $163 million in what would have been college tuition costs. That comes down to an average of just over $4,000 a family. The program works pretty well that Ohio families have saved a lot of money, but with just a few tweaks, it should be doing better. Faber also says he hopes more Ohio schools, high schools rather, will take advantage. Last year, the program awarded more than 8,000 associate degrees while kids were still in high school. The short answer is, is that Ohioans could get better benefit out of the program if the high schools and the school districts that are offering the program better marketed it and promoted the programs 
and if the programs actually tried to offer credits at the lowest possible alternative, and that is in the high schools taught by high school teachers. Right now, a number of our colleges uh, and universities participate. In fact, all Ohio colleges and universities are accepting these credits. So why aren't we getting those to eligible high school students where possible? Faber says this digital database with all that information can be found online, and you can see which districts are taking part. We do have a link at 10tv.com. Well, President Biden is planning to tour the country to talk about the new Inflation Reduction Act, which he signed into law. Democrats say this will help address health care and climate change issues. But Republicans say this will raise taxes on the middle class. Casey Decker with our Verify National Team gets the answers. The Inflation Reduction Act is the Democrats' latest bill to make big changes to economic health and climate policy. Many Republicans have criticized the bill, like this state representative who in a popular tweet said, quote, the Inflation Reduction Act is a tax increase on the middle class. So let's verify, does the Inflation Reduction Act raise taxes on the middle class? Our sources, the full text of the bill, the Tax Foundation, a bipartisan think tank, and Howard Gleckman, a senior fellow at the Urban Brookings Tax Policy Center. The bill raises taxes on corporations in a couple big ways, but it does not raise taxes on individuals. Nowhere in the text does it mention income tax or any other kind of tax assessed on people, just companies. The Tax Foundation analyzed the proposal and found only two ways it could affect an individual's taxes. One is by actually offering some tax credits on stuff like health insurance and electric vehicles. The other is extending a Trump-era law that caps how much in losses certain business owners can write off on their taxes. That law was going to expire in 2027. This bill keeps it alive until 2029. And that's it. No other tax provisions affecting middle-class people or any other individuals. Now, critics of the bill say the larger corporate taxes could eventually be passed on to employees or shareholders who could be middle-class in the form of lower wages and stock dividends. But tax expert Howard Gleckman says even if that happens, it's disingenuous to call it a tax hike, saying, quote, if you're working for your company, your company has to pay more in taxes. It doesn't mean that you're paying more taxes. So we can verify, no, the Inflation Reduction Act does not raise taxes on the middle class. With your verify, I'm Casey Decker. Thank you, Casey. If you have anything you would like us to verify, just reach out to us on social media, or you can send an email to verify at 10tv.com. Well, the Inflation Reduction Act includes a cap on insulin prices. So for people on Medicare, they will now pay just $35 a month. This bill will deliver long overdue relief to millions and make health care more accessible, more equitable and more affordable for years to come. Lawmakers say the new law could save Ohio families up to $4,000 a year in premium costs. Well, lawmakers are taking an exception now to the state's statute of limitations. After the break, a former Boy Scout talks with Face the State about getting justice for the sexual abuse he says he suffered as a child. Columbus Perspective is a public affairs presentation of WBNS Radio. The opinions expressed on this program are those of its guests and do not necessarily reflect those of WBNS Radio itself staff, management, or sponsors. This is Columbus Perspective on the Fan. Back to Angela Ann, courtesy of 10TV. And this was just like the Catholic Church. You know, it was that widespread. 
He is one of more than a thousand children who say they were sexually abused as Boy Scouts. The organization agreed to a $3 billion settlement to those victims who are now adults. What is unique about this case is that the Boy Scouts of America will pay out regardless of a state's statute of limitations. 10TV's Kevin Landers explains how two Ohio lawmakers are making an exception to the state law. It happened around nine years old. Mujahideen Muhammad says he was sexually abused at Boy Scout camp. So it was a, over a period of several months. And those months at camp, he says, turned an innocent boy into a street criminal. And my last sentence was like 32 years that I'd done 27 years of it. So, you know, my whole life was impacted by that trauma. As part of a bankruptcy settlement, the Boy Scouts of America agreed to settle with all of its 82,000 victims nationwide. For the nearly 2,000 victims in Ohio, in order to receive the full settlement, lawmakers would need to pass a law to make an exception to the state's statute of limitations for sexual abuse. It's a matter of fairness to the Ohio victims. That is, uh, we've been invited to do it by the Boy Scouts themselves. Representative Bill Seitz, a Republican, is a staunch supporter of statute of limitations and is a surprise supporter of what's called the Scouts Honor Law. It would make an exception to Ohio's statute of limitations only when there is a bankruptcy. I do not favor uh, a, a limitless statute of limitations. His co-sponsor, Democrat Representative Jessica Miranda, herself a victim of abuse, disagrees. According to ChildUSA.org, Ohio is failing survivors and Ohio is failing our children. Current Ohio laws are failing all of us who are survivors. Passing the Scouts Honor Law, lawmakers say, will ensure victims receive 100 percent of the Boy Scout settlement. As opposed to only 35 to 40 percent, which is what these survivors would only receive under Ohio's current statute of limitations. For victims like Mujahideen Muhammad, he says money from the settlement won't erase the memory of the abuse he endured. That trauma right there, you know, changed the whole trajectory of my life. Kevin Landers, 10TV News. Now, the Scouts' honor bill must be passed by next June for Ohio victims to receive that settlement. Lawmakers believe with no opposition so far, they can pass it before the end of this year. Now, if you have experienced sexual assault or violence, there is always help available. You can reach out to the Ohio Sexual Violence Helpline. That number is 844-OHIO-HELP. Well, this morning, a candidate for the Ohio House of Representatives is responding to a discrimination lawsuit. Ohio Attorney General Dave Yost and 21 other attorneys general filed the lawsuit against the Biden administration. That's because of a rule that would eliminate a state's Title IX and SNAP benefits if the state does not follow rules related to gender identity and sexual orientation discrimination. House candidate Jim Obergefell, who paved the way for legalizing same-sex marriage across the country, had this to say. This lawsuit is not about making things better. This lawsuit is about targeting queer kids. This lawsuit is about targeting kids who are already marginalized, kids who are already vulnerable. SNAP benefits typically provide low-income students with meals. If the rule was upheld, our state would no longer get funding for that program. Now, we reached out to Attorney General Dave Yost about the lawsuit. He's running for re-election this November. And his campaign manager sent us this statement, which reads in part, quote, under no circumstance will Dave Yost allow Biden to withhold food from needy children in a policy dispute. We will, of course, keep you updated as the lawsuit moves through the courts. 
Well, the FDA is making hearing aids available now over the counter. This means fewer people will have to see a medical provider for access. Health experts say this is a necessary move because not all hearing aids are covered under insurance, which could prevent some people from getting them. When hearing isn't managed appropriately, it can have all sorts of consequences from feelings of social isolation to anxiety to depression. The over-the-counter hearing aids will cost much less and they are set to hit stores by October. You can also order them online. Well, right now, major corporate dollars are going towards diversity and equity. J.P. Morgan Chase announced a $1.5 million investment to create an equity design institute for women of color. The banking giant says it is an effort to empower more women of color to lead in local economic development efforts. So during this initial uh, pilot, we're going to do two cohorts of 20 women, um, and it's not going to cost them anything except for their time and their interest in, in working with us to help solve these challenges. So this new institute will be headquartered at Zora's House. That is a Columbus-based co-working space and leadership incubator for women of color. Well, thousands of Ohio families will now qualify for extended postpartum care. That means people on Medicaid will have full coverage for up to a year after pregnancy. The Department of Health and Human Services just approved the move. About 21,000 more families will now qualify. The extended postpartum care will also create more services for the mother, including mental health. The Biden administration says this is an effort to lower mortality rates across the country. New parents searching for baby formula may have a better chance of buying it now. A new report shows out-of-stock rates for powdered baby formula are coming down. About 25% of the infant products were out of stock, much better compared to mid-July when that rate hit a high of 31%. Well, back-to-school season means something different for a student in Hilliard, how the gift of a new heart is sending inspiration. Vision loss is not something that you feel until it happens. Most people lose their vision from diseases like macular degeneration and glaucoma, not at birth. Three million Americans have glaucoma and half don't even know it. 11 million people in the United States have macular degeneration. So many eye disorders can be treated if caught early. Make a plan today to get your eyes checked. Visit brightfocus.org to learn more. This is Columbus Perspective on the Fan. Back to Angela Ann, courtesy of 10TV. This week, the U.S. Department of Transportation kicked off its annual Drive Sober or Get Pulled Over campaign. The agency is teaming up with local law enforcement to promote better and safer driving habits. This is also an effort to get drivers to not get behind the wheel unless they are sober, especially during the Labor Day holiday. Highway administrators say this is truly a life-saving campaign. Today and every day, we want to remind you to drive sober. We want you to mind, remind you to drive sober this Labor Day weekend and every day. We need your help. Remind your friends and neighbors to drive sober. And if they're impaired, arrange for a sober ride home. We all have a part to play in making smart choices and saving lives. 
Now, we checked with ODOT. The agency says Ohioans will see more digital signs along the highways promoting sober driving, as well as more social media posts. And right now, Ohio lawmakers are working to allow students to take mental health days. This is called the Kids Mental Health Now Act. It would allow K-12 students to take up to three mental health days a year. That means any absence under this would be considered excused, and there will be no need for a doctor's note. Of course, this comes after more Ohio children say they have experienced symptoms of anxiety and depression, especially during the pandemic. According to the Children Defense Fund of Ohio, our state has seen a 42 percent increase in kids' mental health issues since 2016. Lawmakers are expected to hold hearings on the Kids Mental Health Act in the upcoming session. Well, recently there's been an influx of young people deciding to take a step back from social media. Spider-Man actor Tom Holland is the latest celebrity to make that shift, saying it had really become detrimental to his health. Now, we spoke with Dr. Megan Shabbing, a psychiatrist from Ohio Health, to find out why young people are moving away from social media. She says the prevalence of taking breaks could be a generational shift on beating the mental health stigma. People are less embarrassed to talk about mental health now. I think people are starting to realize it's not necessarily my fault if I have depression or anxiety. These are problems with my brain and there are treatments for them and I'm going to get help. And every time somebody talks about that, I'm hopeful that it makes somebody else think about that and talk about it. Dr. Shabbing says the first thing she tells people in a mental health crisis is to get off those social sites such as Instagram, Twitter, you name it. She also says it can help you identify the things that maybe make you happy and feel better in your daily life. If it's just affecting you so that you're not enjoying things that you would normally enjoy or it's making you feel bad about yourself, um, of course, if you're having trouble with sleep or, you know, you're not wanting to connect to people in real life, those can all be warning signs that it's time to kind of step away. And I think each person has to decide. I think stepping away entirely and taking a total vacation from social media is a great idea. I, I would challenge anybody to just try it, whether it be for a day or a week, and just see how you feel and see all of the different things that you may actually find that you enjoy doing that don't involve being on social media. You know, I, I love the idea of this. And I'm, I'm glad that people are talking about this and that people are, you know, being thoughtful and deliberate about the whole social media role in everyone's life. Bottom line, just unplug, right? Dr. Shabbing says if you still aren't sure about how to take a social media break, just take the time to rate how you're feeling when you're using the apps. And this could maybe give you a closer look at how being on the Internet really impacts your mental well-being. Well, if you are someone who needs to talk with a professional about mental health issues, suicidal or not, or for yourself or maybe somebody else, you can call this new national hotline. You might remember this launched last month, and it's real easy to remember the number to get that professional help. Just dial 988, and you'll be connected with a mental health expert right away. Well, the start of the school year can sometimes be a little stressful, as we've seen with some students, and it's a true reality check for a Hilliard High School athlete. rather. One year ago, at this time, her future was just about anyone's guess. She was healthy but had a cardiac arrest. A rare genetic disorder proved to be an aggressive opponent. But Janine Humaden is living proof that victory is possible. Wake Up CBUS anchor Tracy Townsend shares her story. 
A stroll with Janine Gigi Hamaden is truly a step in the right direction. I just try to do as much as I can. When you consider that almost a year ago, the healthy 16-year-old field hockey player collapsed and suffered a cardiac arrest at home with her family. Doctors discovered it was a rare genetic disorder. I don't remember any of that. I just remember when I was getting better. It was a journey in the height of the Delta surge of coronavirus. Emergency departments and ICUs were swamped. OSU Wexner Medical Center cardiac surgeon Nahush Mokadam will never forget it. It was one after another, and our team was probably at our lowest point of morale. And in the midst of all this, we get Gigi. Hamaden arrived on the most extreme form of life support, ECMO, in September of 2021. Her heart had failed to the point that it could not pump blood to her body. What we really wanted to do for her is transplant her heart um, because we didn't think it was going to recover. Because she's a teenager, she is relatively small. Organ availability becomes limited. Dr. Mokadam and his team turned to a total artificial heart with Gigi on a transplant list for a donor heart and facing a complication that claimed her right leg. And when we first went home, it was like taking a new baby home. We thought, okay, how are we going to do this? And, uh, you know, how our life is going to change and, and making the adjustment. It was major, but no match for this four foot nine dynamo who, working through occupational and physical therapy, is now back in the game she loves with the Hilliard Lynx. Do you remember how you felt when you got back out there? I don't know. It was like normal, like how I used to play. Short in stature and standing tall in recovery, Gigi is on track to graduate with her class of 2023, looking ahead to college and hopeful that her journey inspires others. People will be going through like worse than you are and like you can still do what, what you want. Now, Gigi managed to stay on track with her academics, even took some college courses. So she's on schedule to graduate this year. Good for her. She took part in the American Heart Association's annual heart walk with teammates and others from Hilliard rallying behind her. What a sweet story and truly an inspiration. You go, Gigi. We want to thank all of you for joining us here today on Face the State. And remember, if it affects you, your family, and Ohio, we're here to make sure those accountable face the state. That's again Angela Ann, courtesy of our sister station, WBNS 10 TV, from their Sunday morning public affairs program, Face the State. A new edition can be seen this morning at 1130 on 10 TV. Unused prescription opioid pain medicines can spell trouble. Safely dispose of opioids before they can hurt your family. Find a drug take-back option such as medicine drop boxes. Visit www.fda.gov slash drug disposal. A message from the U.S. Food and Drug Administration. This is Columbus Perspective on the Fan. Hi, this is Dave James, and joining me on the phone, Bruce Jones, who is the Administrative Coordinator of the Gambling Intervention Program at Maryhaven. How are you? I'm fine, Dave. Thank you for having me on. Thanks for talking to us. In a nutshell, tell us what Maryhaven is. Well, Maryhaven is uh, Central Ohio's oldest drug, alcohol, and mental health facility. Um, And I've found my specialty now working with problem gamblers. And you've uh, been with Mary Haven for better than 20 years, I understand, right? Yeah, that's true. That's true. It's hard to believe. (laughs) 
May is Mental Health Awareness Month, and folks who have needs uh, because of a gambling problem, this is a very serious issue. Yes, it is. Um, And it's just getting, you know, it's so normalized in society that people, when they do have a problem, we want to get the word out that there is help available. When people do turn to you for help, can you give us an idea of what might a typical situation be for someone? Well, um, seeing how this is Mental Health Awareness Month, I would just say that uh, very rarely do I get a, a just a pure gambler. Some I, over the years, I've I've decided that you know gambling is a symptom of something else that's going on in their lives, whether it be depression or loneliness or. Uh, grief, pain, all these things that, you know, they find relief at the casinos or the racinos or the lottery that gives them a reward. Because when someone gambles, they get the, you know, the dopamine release and the serotonin, just like they do with uh, psychoactive drugs. So it does fulfill a, a need for them. But over time, it becomes problematic when the consequences become too great. Is there a particular kind of gambling that seems to get its hooks into people more than others? Well, yes. Um, I would definitely say the casino-style gambling, like the, um, here in, in central Ohio, we have the Hollywood and the Scioto Downs, which is a racino. It's a place to go. People feel welcomed, and you know, and they can play this machine or play it with a group of people, and you know, all of a sudden now they're having a relationship with something else that's keeping their attention and they're not thinking about all the problems they have in their life. So it can become very problematic in a relatively short period of time, especially for middle-aged women for some reason. Hmm. You know, say the children are adults now and out of the house and, you know, they don't like their job, don't care much for their significant other, that, you know, uh, their debt. But when they go to the casino, they don't think anything about it. Because, uh, you know, gambling, um, really, and t- before they opened up, the state did a survey to get a baseline study on how, you know, how prevalent gambling is in Ohio. And in 2012, they put a survey out, and it came back that 10 per- or 5% of the population was at risk of developing a gambling disorder. And then five years later, they did another survey, and the only thing that changed was they opened the casinos and racinos that the results from 2017 was that now 10 percent of the population is at risk of developing a gambling disorder Mm. and that's you know doubled in five years and it's been another five years this year the state will be putting out another survey uh will have added fantasy sports and they just legalized the sports betting which doesn't go into effect until January of 23, but still it's available. It's so accessible. Um, we'll see what, how much it goes up again. But uh, they say sports betting is equal to, if not more, addictive than casino gambling. It's going to be interesting because obviously when there's sports betting, that's something that you can do literally any time of the day and right in the palm of your hand. Correct. And during the game – you can bet on every play of every game. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's it's, it's going to be. Uh, I'm hope, hopefully we will be prepared for it with enough staff and um, you know people in the state to uh, to help uh, treat the the gambling the issues that are going to be coming down the pike.
Talking with Bruce Jones, uh, he is the administrative coordinator of the gambling intervention program with Mary Haven. When you talk to somebody who is mired in this problem, can you get a sense in talking to them whether or not they're likely to get themselves out of this mess? Oh, definitely. But, you know, by the time they've called me, they already know they have an issue. <laughs> and we just offer the support and education and and treatment. Um, and if the p- persons are ready to quit completely, I'd refer them over for an additional support with Gamblers Anonymous, which we're fortunate in central Ohio. We have a meeting pretty much every day of the week. And since COVID, it's now pretty much available via the Zoom or, or whatever worldwide. So, I'm curious about your uh, approach. You're a nationally certified gambling counselor, and I would imagine that the last thing in the world you want to do is beat up on these folks for what, what has happened to them. You're, you're trying to, to figure out a, a way to present this as a way out, right? Oh, most definitely. They're they're beating themselves up already. Right. <laughs> you know, we're trying to support and guide them along a different path and finding some other healthier activities to get involved with and and you know, find the, the crux of the matter whether we during the assessment and the and the treatment, we can in the screenings we can see you know the timeline, how it all evolved and when they became you know, it became problematic. So we can make tweak it a little bit and move for change. Talking with Bruce Jones, who's the administrative coordinator for the Gambling Intervention Program at Maryhaven. When they talk about how they can't stop, what is it that's happening to them mentally? Why can't they stop? Well, it's just like chemical addiction, you know, psychoactive drugs. It does over a period of time, even though gambling is a behavioral disorder, um, it still has it still changes the neural pathways in the brain, so they are addicted just like they would be if they were ingesting a, a toxin into their bodies. And especially with the gambler, when they start losing, and they start chasing their losses, is that's the dangerous part. That they don't. They, it's like a horse with blinders on; they don't see any other way out of their situation except to keep gambling. And the crux of the matter is if they stop the hemorrhaging of money, everything can, you know, will come about for the, for the positive. What about for uh, those who are having this problem, similar to, say, somebody with an opioid addiction who may turn to petty theft or something to try to, you know, I don't know, just to try to stay afloat? I mean, it, it seems like it can bring out aspects of their personality that didn't exist before makes them a different person. Oh, it definitely does, Dave. It's uh, the game in the diagnostic statistic manual in the fourth edition. They had uh, a criteria of have you ever committed any illegal acts to get money for to to uh, do your gambling or pay your debt. Uh, but when the fifth edition of the uh, diagnostic statistic manual came out, they dropped that. But um, I still ask that question just because it shows the severity of the addiction. We've gone out and uh, presenting trainings to probation, federal, municipal, and, and common pleas courts, bankruptcy courts, just to get them educated about gambling and you know what people will do to keep their 
ability to gamble because it's a hidden disorder. My friend Scott Anderson at the state, he always says, you know, you can't see gambling in someone's eyes. You can't smell lottery breath, and you don't see diamonds, clubs, spades, or hearts in a urine screen. Mm. But by the time people do come for help, you know, they've lost jobs, relationships, housing, money, payday loan, credit card, car to a title loan place. Suicide becomes a very viable option for this group of people. Mm. It has the highest correlation of suicidal ideation than any other disorder. So that's kind of what got me working with this population. Wow. They say you cannot overdose on a behavioral disorder, but if you're considering taking your life, I'm, you know, <laughs> I'm sorry. That's an overdose in my book. Right. But. So are, are these uh, a lot of them middle-aged then maybe who've been uh, dabbling in this and then it just uh, got out of control as they got older? Oh, no, 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 not at all. Huh. Um, we're seeing a lot more. Well, through those surveys that the state did in central Ohio, uh, uh, people 18 to 25 year olds are the most at risk. Mm. Um, African American males between at that age are the at most at risk. Then it goes to the seniors, then the Asian population, and then everyone else in in the gamut. Here at Mary Haven, we have you know our caseloads. It's close to 50 50 men and women. Uh, but you since the DSM came out and they put gambling disorder in the addictions section uh, with alcohol, cocaine, cannabis, opioids, instead of hypnotics. Another diagnostic group came out with uh, the um, ICD-11 came out, and they added two new behavioral disorders. One is sex disorder, and the other one is internet gaming disorder. So your phones, you know, playing games, World of Warcraft, uh, Mm -hmm. Fortnite, all these other games that Xbox or PlayStation puts out, they all have built into them these little loot boxes or treasure chests that people can land on and get a prize to help them you know, progress in the game, but there's no guarantee you're going to get the prize you want. So if you have in-game money in the game, you can purchase that, but if you don't have the in-game money, you can use real money to purchase the in-game money to get that prize. So a quick definition of gambling is anytime you risk something you value, money, on a chance or a risk to gain something more. So we're actually teaching kids, younger kids, how to gamble. (laughs) And it just starts from there. You know, even when I do groups here, I ask people, well, how many of you got – scratch off lottery tickets in your um, birthday cards or Christmas stockings when you're young. Majority of them would raise their hands. But, you know, they're like 9, 10, 11, 12, and you're supposed to be 18 in order to get a lottery. So, I mean, it's not faulting parents, but it's just the, you know, educating people now to be aware. That's what we try to do. Well, it's so odd how it can strike some people and others not. You know, I can be in a inside a, a gas station convenience store and see somebody in there playing 20 lottery tickets. And, and you can tell by the way they banter with the guy behind the cash register that they do it all the time. Mm-hmm. And I just look at that and I think, I'm just so glad that I don't find amusement or enjoyment out of doing something like that. You know, but but some people yeah. obviously do. Well, I mean, it usually starts off as entertainment because right. gambling is like the largest entertainment in the world. Right. So... 
but you know it, it's over time becomes it change the change process happens and you get become you know you need that rush you need that feel good when you're playing and even losing but it really is a situation where but for the grace of god there go i with any of us right correct correct and it's interesting uh, you said that is that you know in the diagnostic statistic manual of fifth edition it says that you know in order for recovery and addiction to happen there must be spirituality involved in the recovery hmm. and you think huh <laughs> science and spirituality how does that but they say during our addiction we've done immoral things so that's why we would refer people to a 12 step meeting a fellowship of people that are having the same issues in their life and yeah. you know it becomes you know it's it, it's a they come they come to help for help for the change process to begin right you know not necessarily a particular denomination of a religion but just a, a spiritual aspect to it. a spiritual not religion correct right. yeah talking with Bruce Jones who's the administrative coordinator for the gambling intervention program at Mary Haven you know you touched on sports betting you must be pretty concerned about that I would think well I definitely am and, and my colleagues are as well I mean it's we're concerned about the the new process that's going to happen that we have no idea how it's really going to work. We have, there's three different types of licensure, licensures for the gambling for the state. One's going to be brick and mortar uh, facilities. Another license is for the apps. And what's made it even tougher, I think, is going to be the third license, which is anyone that has a liquor license can then put a, a gambling kiosk machine in their store or bowling alley or grocery store or, or you name it, <laughs> barbershop, <laughs> I don't know. Um, so how they're going to regulate that is uh, still a question of mine. I think the Casino Control Commission will um, regulate the A and B licenses, the brick and mortar and the apps, but the lottery will regulate the um, – the other license, Type C license. Mm -hmm. And there's just so much. <laughs> I mean, how are you going to regulate all these apps and stuff? But right. but the one promising thing is that there will be an option built in that they will have a voluntary exclusion uh, capability for these licenses, just like they already do at the, Holly, at the casinos and racinos. Someone can sign themselves out voluntarily for one year, five years, or a lifetime from these casinos, and they'll get a, a, a letter from the Casino Control Commission saying, hey, Bruce, you know, we, we accept your application for voluntary exclusion for one, five, or a lifetime, uh, but if you're caught on our property, you're subject to arrest for criminal trespass, and any money or tools used will be forfeited. You know, for me, that might be enough of a deterrent, but for People with addictions, you know, I've got several people that have multiple criminal trespass charges now on their record. Mm. But they're going to try to implement that to the uh, sports betting as well, which I think is a, a great idea. Talking with Bruce Jones from Mary Haven, uh, if uh, folks want more information about the help that can be offered or if they want to know more about, uh, you know, warning signs or any of those types of things, Bruce, how do they find out? Well, they can... For us, it would be definitely easy to get onto our website at Mary Haven, 
uh, com, or even and go to our gambling site. Uh, we have a pretty good website with a bunch of ways you can self-test our biographies and, and other uh, stories on there. But you can actually schedule in an appointment online, or you can give us a call. Um, our line is uh, 614-324-5413 is my direct line. I'll be glad to take anybody's calls with any questions. And um, it's an easy process. We're pretty laid back, but we're professional, and we want the best for, you know, our, our goal is that when we get people come into the office, you know, we talk with them and we can make the cell. It's it's not rocket science. You know, we can do manualized treatment programs that we have. What I found is that, you know, it's something, like I said, it's, it's something else that's going on in their lives. It's keeping them going to the gambling. So we try to find out what that is and take it from there. We get the change process to move on. Bruce Jones, Administrative Coordinator for the Gambling Intervention Program at Mary Haven. Thanks so much for your time today. Sure appreciate it. Oh, my pleasure. This has been Columbus Perspective, a weekly public affairs presentation to the fan. Heard each Sunday morning at 6 on WBNS AM. That's 1460 ESPN Columbus. And Sunday morning at 7 on WBNS FM. Sports Radio 97.1 The Fan. Join us again next Sunday for Columbus Perspective.